these homes get defamed. They've served their purpose, they've housed families, and all of a sudden there's a problem. And the only thing that's changed is someone's produced a paper report that says there's something wrong with this house. The house hasn't changed. Being satisfied with the whole report is particularly important because if that's the only one thing and you've quantified it, you've understand it. We don't live in a country where our building standards are pretty high, but typically older properties are just built better. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management, sales and buyers agency servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here's your host, Jared Mann. Hey, Paul. Thanks for joining us today. Very excited to have you on the podcast. Been friends for a very long time and you've got a wealth of knowledge to share with us. So, looking forward to diving in. Yeah, it should be a bit of fun, Jared. Thanks for uh, bringing me on board. So tell us a bit about your background as an investor, first of all, because you're not just a building inspector, but you've been investing for a long time. And I think we were just chatting off air. You've got 15-odd properties now. so Yeah, I'd probably say that most most of the investment hasn't worked that way. <laughs> you know, you go through the process of you know, and I know you're a big, big advocate of it. You know, lack of strategy, I think, was a real issue where you just buy something and you buy something. And we did that. I mean, we bought our first investment property when we were 22 or 23, you know. Interest rates were 17%, you know. It was like pretty bad, you know. And so, yeah. And I, I think the one thing probably is I never sort of gave up on it as an investment class, you know. And you hear that. You know, you got friends that go, oh, I bought one and it was a van, and a tenant was a nine, and they're gone, you know. And I went, oh, okay, you know, I said, well, you know, and so I'm, I really, I'm so, sort of a really strong believer in, I just learn a bit and move on and, you know, eventually, 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 <laughs> you know, if you do enough of it, you sort of might start to get it right, you know, and so, yeah, so that was sort of the process, just looking at, you know, learning from what's worked, what hasn't worked. I mean, we've done a whole range of subdivisions this, that and the other over the years, you know, I, you know, I don't know how many properties we've bought and sold and done stuff with. And so we've sort of, you know, and it's what I realise also. There's no one size fits all, you know. It's like everyone's strategy is different, you know. Do you want to grow? You know, we're, you know, I'm almost sixty, so you know, we're at. I don't really need to, to build asset base, you know. That's not really our focus. So you know, you do that for maybe when you're thirties and we're forties, and you go, okay, now how do I, you know, make cash? You know, I'm more interested in cash flow. I'm not interested. So there's a, there's I think the different stages where we're a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more trying to grow it quicker, uh, taking a bit more risks, you know, but, you know, we keep our LVR now around 40% because that's where we want to be. Tips it more towards cash flow, I guess, as well. Yeah, m more cash flow. Uh, I don't care about needing gearing because it all makes money now, so I don't have losses with it, so that's fine. So, and it's just the right, Fit for us at this stage of life and you know we've sort of been mixing it up a little bit by you know we've rented our house out you know we took off and Rob, i said to rob mate we got this house <laughs> she's looking at me going what and i said so we've started doing some short-term accommodation you know just you know there seems to be a ton of people coming from south america particularly south america so rob so we we've got a couple of properties that we went no oh, let's just but at least has came to an end and let's just do the room by room you know Short term, you know, and so they come in, they go six months, 12 months. We fully furnished them, did that routine. And so one property we were getting 550 a week and now we're getting 1200 a week just by renting the four rooms out. 
you know, I think we net about after costs and stuff because you've got, you know, you're paying for power and phone and this. I think we're netting about nine fifty a week for it. Seems to be pretty good, you know. So we did, and we did the same thing at our place. You know, we we've got. You would have had your furniture there. Yeah, yeah we got our furniture there, and so we rented out three rooms. I think we're picking up, you know, seven fifty or eight hundred a week. It's pretty bloody good, you know. And so they're not in a rental. A long term is, you know, they're in, they're out. You've got to move your furniture and this and that. So we just went, this zone's gone. We've got a friend looking after the house. She moved into our place, our space, and then we just rent out the rooms. So. But just adapting things to your lifestyle and stage that you're at. Yeah, exactly. And I, and, and I think, yeah, I think that's probably the biggest takeaway that we sort of worked out is that, you know, we're more in a lower risk, obviously. And you've got your kids and the, in the fold as well, so we often chat about yeah you know, how you're bringing them into into things. Yeah, look, that's that's a really good point because you know they they're fortunate, you know, they're really good and I'm really proud of the kids and and now you know Chris is actively involved in it. She works with Rob. Rob manages all the property. I don't I don't get involved in it. So Rob's the property. She loves property. So Chris has been working with her. So and of course the shorter term stuff's a lot harder to manage if you don't have those skills and time. So. Yeah, it is, you know. So I think it's, and they learn, and we learn, and you look at, you know, you know, you you sort of worked out what's worked for you in the past, and so it's it's at a stage now where I mean, it seems to be still really good opportunities in Perth. You know, we've had property in Adelaide for years; it's done nothing. You know, it was like you know, Adelaide. Now it's like, I, God, the increase is insane. Oh my God! You know, we're talking about, I think valuations of, you know, almost. Two and two times, twice at least, twice in in less than two years. I mean, that's why I'm so still bullish about Perth and where our potential upside will go to. Still, you know, we're so undervalued. Just so. yeah, I I think I think you're right. I think if I look at Perth at the moment, far out, you know, like when people go, it's going to implode. I go, how's it implode? You've got constant growth of demand. You know, the government's coming up with this. Crazy schemes around making it more difficult for investors, which is going to reduce stock. Like I just, I, I don't know what these guys are on, but you can. What we really need is obviously how do you attract more investors? You know, Melbourne's been frigging around with this stuff that Dan Andrews. Everyone's like, I'm out of there, and so investors just put their hands up and leave you. Oh, Perth relatively is yeah, a pretty decent option all around. Yeah, and when you look at what you can buy. Whether you want to do development or hold, I mean, we've got yeah, it's still, you know, it's still very, very, very attractive and very. I, I still think it's extremely affordable. Well, our biggest challenge today, people can probably get an insight into why our lunches go for four hours when we catch up. Uh, <laughs> so, our biggest challenge today is keeping it to thirty or forty minutes. No, that's all very interesting stuff. That's the upshot of it, you know, so yeah, that's good. Tell us a bit about how you got into building inspections then, because I'm sure you didn't just, I know you had a few different previous uh, lives in different industries and I think you started your business around a similar time than I did, so we were going through that phase together. It was 2009, started the business in 2009 and uh, yeah, there was no like sexy vision, it was like, gee, I need to eat. <laughs> It was pretty much, it was pretty much, you know, cause we got caught up in the whole, you know, 
GFC thing, and we had a lot of a lot of developments going on at that time, and a lot of people got you know we were caught up in that. And I just needed to um, find out what I can get into quickly. And I'd worked with someone doing house inspections about ten years earlier as a contractor. I didn't really get involved in the business, but just executing some inspections. And so I thought, well, I can do that. It's not that hard, you know. So I just started it, and you know, and so that's that was the basis of it because it's a, it's a really good area. You know, I found that there wasn't you know, it wasn't that sophisticated. And, and it was really interesting because I just, it, there wasn't much aspiring stuff going on in Australia in our industry. It was like, oh, it's all pretty dull, and, you know. And so I really looked to America. You know, when I started the business, I really, you know, found some, uh, there was some people over there that ran coaching clinics. It was a big thing, you know, they call them home inspections in America. It was a big industry, so much more evolved. And so I looked at how they marketed, what they did, how they approached things differently. And so there was a lot of insights into that. And so then uh, I guess what I did want to do was just do another service like everyone else. So I just wanted to sort of understand, you know, where are the problems and what's not being done well. And so I went through a bit of a process and then just it off and it just grew. So that was in 2009 and it's just been over 14 years now. Neil, where are you at now? I think we're up over 40, we, and our franchise, I franchised the business after a year, and now we're national. I think we're, the, we're probably the largest or second largest in the country, and, you know, and we do, I think we've got 40, 43 franchisees now uh, around the country. Um, we've done 80,000 plus inspections. And it was a really, it's a, it's a running joke, you know, uh, my, my uh, Rob Morris, um, dad always ribs me, he goes, because when he started, he goes, well, so what are you going to do? He says, I just want to do 17 inspections a month and then just spend some time with my kids. That was the plan. He goes, right, right. Like, and then he goes, so how many inspections a month are you doing now? I said, okay. I, granted, it's a few more than 17 a month. <laughs> he always has a laugh about that. He sort of knew that, you know, for me to get 17 and go, oh, that's it. He knows you probably better than you know yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was interesting. But it's, yeah. So we, it's, been an, it's been interesting, certainly seeing the differences I, th I think in a lot of industries, Australia, you know, we've got quite different, you know, buying processes in every state. Yeah, you would have had to get head around all of them, and yeah, and even this and that, and auctions and no auctions and that, this, that, and the bloody registration and licensing. It's literally like running a business in six countries. It's just bizarre, and for a for such a small population that we have, you you know. Yeah, it, it, and it, it was hard. You know, in the early days, it was difficult because you're sort of trying, you know, not only the execution of inspections and what are we looking at and what changes. Well, it's similar for real estate agents and property managers. I It is. It would be. See the different things when you rent out your properties in the other states. And yeah, it's it's an obstacle for me in my thinking to just, it's not just as easy as roll the same, exact same things out in every state. So. No, it, it takes time and eventually like you sort of learn the, the I, I think the, the bottom line, the fundamentals of the execution are the same. Yeah. We don't, we haven't, we never changed how we go about what we do with our inspection, how we train guys, the same, same process nationally. It's just a little bit, maybe marketing and how you approach people and some of the, you know, legislation around smoke alarms and this and that, it varies. Every state has their own legislation around all those sorts of particularly safety-related issues. But, yeah, once we sort of got our head around that, we found that the, you know, the core requirement relating to checking a property out and making making our clients feel comfortable is universal, yeah. Well, you wrote a book called Don't Expect, Inspect. 
what inspired you to write that? Because um, there's a lot of good content in there, and I, I was kind of thinking, oh, you know, how interesting can building inspections be? But um, not very interesting. Oh, <laughs> 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 don't get me wrong. You know, it's important. But it's. <laughs> I tell you what, you cover a lot of interesting stuff in the book, so I was actually really surprised because it's eye opening. It was pretty interesting because what I found was there really wasn't anything that talked about inspections. You know, like. They just well, I couldn't find. I was looking for books on it, and I found there wasn't a book. There was, you know, I, I, and what I did before I did wrote the book. I thought, does there need to be another book? You know, <laughs> like I just <laughs> really like seriously. You know, like there's no shortage of books in this world. You know, so I, I've got a whole bunch of books that I found in the marketplace. Most of them were American books, you know, and not really relevant to us. You know, for for a range of different reasons. And I thought it would just be really useful. And and as a as building an inspection business, I just found that there was so much misinformation. Well, the average buyer is just so uneducated. And this is from me wearing my hats as both the buyer's agent and the selling agent that and we perform both of those roles. And they very rarely ever oh, they don't even understand what they're reading when they get their building inspection reports. So it takes a lot of education from our side to to have them actually be making informed decisions and that's pro- providing they even use a good inspector that is identifying these things so yeah it's it's true it is true and i and i thought well it'd be good to and i've sort of broken it down into the different sections that i thought were relevant and important and it is a sort of book you can just pick it up and just you know go to a section and go have a read of it it's not like a, a you know you got to read the whole thing of it and uh, it's just become a good reference tool you know and so much of the stuff in there, we've sort of we spent a lot of time training our franchisees around, so they understand and they communicate to clients. So a lot of it was about trying to share some information with clients, because we found that you know, like real estate agents or conveyances or mortgage, they're providing advice to people relating to inspections, and they don't really know anything about it. You know, and it's like you know, and we we yeah, I, you know, I, I can just tell you story after story after story where people freak out about something. It's just crazy, you know. But but I think that was a motivation, and you know it's a resource, and you know we've did, we've gotten a lot. I don't know. I think I had ten thousand printed and there's out there somewhere in the ether. I don't know where they are, but they've all gone out there somewhere. So sitting on people's bookshelves, yeah, 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 probably. You know, I've got a couple of ones. Yeah, yeah, that's good. You know, mum, you give one to your mother. That's the biggest thing you do. You give a book to your mum. Your mum goes, yeah, your own mum. Yeah, wow, well, my son's successful. He's written his book. Oh, look at that. There's a yeah. You know, so there you go. If nothing else, you know. So what are some of the common misconceptions that property investors have and how does your book address some of those, do you think? Probably the thing that we find that seems to come up a lot is, you know, the the concept of as part of a buying process, the idea that it's, a lot of them think it's mandatory, right? Which is good for us, but it's not, you know? And the motivations, a good thing that sort of, an investor or someone purchasing probably should understand is when someone's saying, talking to you about getting an inspection done, or here's someone we know, you know, what's their motivation? So are they in genuinely interested, you know, and let's just be blunt, I'm not saying this is the way it works, but, you know, when there's a large commission attached to the sale of a property, inspectors can be seen as a problem, you know, as a problem because, you know, so, you know, you can get an inspection report, there's a three-page tick box thing that satisfies a requirement and it's less likely to rock the boat. And unfortunately, 
you know, generally the people that need more information and are less experienced are the ones that, that where there can be blind spots with that. So that's, so it is, uh, and, and look, we have many, obviously a lot of the work that we get is from real estate agents, you know, that's where it comes from. But we are, you know, and there's lots of real estate agents that just want to make sure their clients are well informed, make sure if there's any issues, it's identified. Those of us that are, you know, top performers, we want as smooth a process as possible. You know, when we go to sell a property, we we are happy to warrant that everything is working and we're happy to get everything fixed and sorted before we go to market. But there's many others at the other end of the spectrum, I'm sure that- yeah, There is, there is. And so that that sort of, you know, potentially being direct, oh, you don't need to get this done or that's not important or just get the structure. Often there's people just, I mean- We've done a lot of inspections, okay? We don't live in a country. I mean, the standards in Australia for building are incredibly high, incredibly high. And so I, I did an analysis at one point and looked at how many properties have serious structural issues, right? It's a very small percentage that have serious structural issues. And the ones that, the ones that do, let's face it, you know, like, oh, how do I know? Like, if they're serious... I can get a 10-year-old walk out there and go, whoa, that looks like there's something wrong going, you know, a little lean like this or there's a crack in the wall. Like, they're pretty obvious, you know, and that's not typically, you know, and often there's a big emphasis on structure, on the structure, on the structure. And what we've found from experience, and particularly when people have come back with us with concerns, it's all the other stuff. You know, the electrics, the plumbing, there's issues with the drainage, there's something out the backyard that they've built that's not legit. There's, there's all sorts of other issues. And they can be the things that the approvals is a big one, isn't it? You know, it can drastically affect value. If absolutely, and, and clients go, it's really funny. They go, "I just want to know it's not going to fall down." <laughs> and I go, "I can pretty much guarantee it's not going to fall down." Oh my God, this was the last time. When you know, think about it, if a house fell down in Australia, it'd be on national news, wouldn't it? You know, like it's a common occurrence. In some areas, you know, you travel around, you go more. But, you know, that's ridiculous. You know, I just don't, I just want to know the house isn't going to fall down. I'm like, yeah, okay, well, you don't need to get an inspection for that because the chance is going to fall down. And then I think that's, pro so that's one thing, not really considering some of the other aspects of the property and the home, you know. And so we have, we obviously, we do an inspection wing, oh, just get it, get the structure done if that's what you want to do. But for a marginal difference in cost, you know, we do all the electric and the plumbing. Yeah, it's like people, penny pinch to not have all these things identified at the beginning and what i find as an investor then i can plan out okay well these things need to be done at the commencement before i place a tenant you know i want to tackle those maintenance things or you know or you know i'm going to need this over the next five years like you can sort of forward plan where you, what you're going to need to fix or upgrade or you know obviously it depends on your purpose for the property as well you've mentioned you you do some subdivision or development if you're knocking the house down well you're not going to be as worried with some of these things, are you? No, it is. And look, I think it's that's a really good point. You know, it's it is about sharing information, not just things that you know should I buy it or should I not. You know, you should just aim as a, as someone buying property, you should just aim to be informed. You know, as informed as you can be, you can decide what you want to do with that information, but be informed. Getting independent information about the property. So it gives you information about this, that, and all that sort of stuff. That's important. And then you can decide, I'm going to fix that. I don't want to buy it. You know, I don't think probably for us, a tragedy, and it's, it's a tragedy, is when 
you know, someone's got a look at a house, a young couple looking at a house, agents trying to sell it, some inspector goes in, oh, the whole thing doesn't comply with current blah, 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 comes up with a whole bunch of things, you know, actually not true, not really an issue, not a major drama. And then the buyer doesn't buy it because they're freaked out. And so it hasn't served anyone. You know, the seller wants to sell it. The buyer clearly wanted to buy the house because I put an offer in on it. I want to buy the house. And so then the, these parties go away, not buying the house I wanted to buy for reasons that actually aren't valid, you know, and this happens all the time. Well, some of them can be very scary too. I mean, I won't name names, but there's a, a lot of agents that will don't want buyers to use a certain inspector because they classify non-painted tops of doors as being a major structural defect and things like this. Like, it's it makes people very scary when all the doors aren't painted on the tops. It does, you know, it does. And it's really interesting because I think, and that's probably one of the downsides of our industry is that, you know, a lot of inspectors potentially go, look, we've got to, we're here, we've got to find stuff, we work for the seller. Actually, we don't. We work for everyone and our job is to facilitate a, an informed process so that the buyer is actually informed and they have all the information on hand about it. And we're very conscious of not freaking people out. And I love your reports because they're so simple as well. That's why I order them myself in the, whenever I buy it, pretty much anywhere around Australia, just the simplicity of it. Yeah, it's, it's a funny thing because I can't tell you how many people have rung me up and say, oh, Paul, you do inspections? I go, yeah, 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 we, yeah, we. I'm going to send you a report. Can you tell me what it says? I can't tell you how many people have sent a report from someone else, some other company, and they go, I, I don't know if it's good or if it's bad. And then I, I literally go through these reports and I, like, I actually can't. In one spot, it's all good. In another spot, there's something wrong. In another spot... Like And so just trying to have... And some of the inspectors as well, rather than actually stating what an issue is, they just defer off everything. So it's like, you know, you need to speak to a licensed plumber about this. You need to speak to an engineer about this. You need to speak to an electrician about this. It's like, so what are you actually... What knowledge are you actually bringing to this inspection other than scaring the buyer about needing all these other people? It's such a good point. Because that is such a good point, because that's what ends up happening is... I see a lot of reports, Paul. <laughs> I've seen over 80 over the last year, so I... And, and this deferment, and, and for me personally, one of the things that I found actually quite disappointing was no one, take, no one makes a call. No one makes a call, you know? Everyone's petrified about getting sued or making a mistake, and no one makes a call, right? You know, so they get into a house like... Oh, there's a common one, you know, particularly if you look at inner, inner suburbs in Perth, any location. Anything that's got a bit of an older property, yeah. Yeah, 1880s, 1920s, and, you know, <laughs> but you have these inspectors that go in there and flag all these issues because they don't comply with current codes, with current building codes and standards. It's absurd, you know, and, and actually the Australian standard, there's an Australian standard that we operate to for building inspections specifically excludes that for a very good reason. You know, it's so tragic. You know, it's like me, I've just bought a, a 1973 Fiat, right? So it's like my, me buying a 1973 Fiat and then bringing it to a mechanic who then looks at it and goes, oh, mate, this car's beautiful. But imagine going, oh, mate, the serious problems with this thing, you know, the air can, the... The suspension, da, 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 like it's 1973. 
can I drive it on the road? Is it safe? Will it get me to go? Yeah, it will do all those things. But does it comply? Of course not, you know, because it's an old vehicle. And the tragedy is with homes is that a, a house is a character. You know, it's a building. It's got a bit of a character going on about it. It's housed all these families. You know, they've come, they've gone. It's done its job, hasn't it? You know, and people go, oh, it's a great house. And then you end up with some twit who comes along and goes, oh, the structure of the room, problem. And all of a sudden, he was looking at the house like, oh, my God, you know, like the house now has been defamed. That's how I look at it. It's actually been, uh, you know, I can't tell you many times I've had to go back to an inspection that I did years ago. And they say, oh, there's major problems with the structure, major this, major that. And I turn up and I go, where? Like, where, where are these? And, like, we seem to have lacked common sense. Like, here's a house, right? Oh, this, this roof's a problem. Right. It was built in 1910. Correct. Right. It's 100 years old. Yes. It hasn't moved in 100 years. Correct. Okay, so, so tell me what's the problem. You know, it's common sense, isn't it? If this thing's been around 100 years and it's still there and we've had all sorts of things happen and it's still there. So I think that's the problem with particularly people looking at older homes, this compliance to, you know, current codes. That's obviously, that shouldn't be something that people should, you should be aware of it. Like, you know, the roof, if you're putting an aircon system or, an, you know, like a hot water system or this or that, you need to be aware of those sorts of things. Yeah, you strengthen it. But the reality is that these homes get defamed. You know, they sort of, they've served their purpose. They've housed families. They've done this for a, a century. And all of a sudden there's a problem. And the only thing that's changed is someone's produced a paper report that says there's something wrong with this house. The house hasn't changed. <laughs> it's the same house, you know. And so that's actually something that's, quite sad because they're you know and, and it's probably not just in our industry it's like people are so concerned about taking a risk or making a call that everyone sort of defers oh go and see a plumber go and see an electrician go if you go and see an engineer i guarantee guaranteed that if you get an engineer to come and look at a house oh you're, you're never going to get an engineer i'm an engineer you're never getting an engineer going to look at a house and go this is perfect never they're going to produce a two you're going to pay a thousand bucks for the for the pleasure, and you're going to end up a whole bunch of stuff telling you why this house doesn't comply with this, that, and the other. So, you know, it's it's sad. You know, it is really, really sad. I'm you know. On that note, like, could you take us through the three categories, I guess, of findings that are, and what things are typically classified under, and what do people actually need to be concerned about? Yeah, look in the in the code, it's really interesting, uh, and we call it what we flag red. You know. That's why I like your reports. You know, you're color-coded. Quick look down, I can be like, yep, this is what I need to worry about. Yeah, and look, the, the Australian standard's very clear about when something is red. You know, when you wish you'd flag something is red. The first one is safety, right? Is, is, is there a safety issue, all right? And that can be very, that's very wide. Safety could be, you know, you walk out on the deck, you know, three metres, no handrail or the handrail's open and you know kids can dive through it safety could be electrical cables hanging out the wall safety could be it could be could be a structural issue you know something that's looking a bit dodgy could be a structural issue so safety is a big thing and that's something that would definitely get flagged and and it, it might not be the, the problem that we have is often you know agents go well no we're not looking for any of that stuff we're just looking for structural defects so in in a way, it's sort of true, depending on the contract that's been written. I have a particular clause. 
<laughs> in the book, I've got a particular clause that I always use when I buy property. You know, I have a specific clause that I always use when I buy property, you know, for, for the building, because the building inspector goes, very. So I always have this clause that basically says that the report has to be to the buyer's full satisfaction, right? That's it. And there's a, in the book, I've got a, this is the clause to use. I always use that clause because the problem is you could identify something that is an issue, but the contract might say only structural defects, you know? And so then you might, but there might be other issues. So you want to have that ability to negotiate or to say, you know, this needs to get sorted. So safety is a big one. That's the first thing. The second thing is anything that should do something but doesn't do it. <laughs> so it's really simple, but something that should do something but it's just not doing it. It's obvious, you know, like there's an exhaust fan, it's not working. There's a hot plate, it's not working. You know, I can't turn the aircon in, you know. And so that also moves into the area of when you think about uh, structural issues, you know, like here's a beam that should be, this should be supporting that load. It's doing it, but it's right on the edge, you know. So that's something that we, we need to identify. But something that should be doing something and it's not doing it, it's a defect. We would identify that as a defect. And the third thing is that if you don't do something about it, it's going to be further deterioration. It's going to cause more problems, you know. A good example would be, you know, you know a cracked tire. People go, what's the drama with a cracked tire? Okay, it's a cracked tile. It's not the cracked tile. If the cracked tile in it rains, the water gets in, falls on the ceiling, you have a ceiling issue. And, you know, so anything that if you don't address will create problems down, downstream, you know. And, and another example could be, you know, water coming off the house, down the downpipes, on the foundations, you end up with excessive settlement, you know, that type of stuff. Well, I was just out to a property this week that had foundational issues and now they've got someone in investigate it, tracked it back to not having soak wells outside. And, you know, I see that in the reports commented all the time and now I've seen the result. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I think, so they're the things that we would, and look, structural issues are an obvious one, you know, and I think that it is funny because you know, like we get in the roof on every inspection, we get under the floorboards, if it's possible, and we go on the roof. There's <laughs> so many companies that won't do that. Well, I can't go under the roof. You can't go under the roof. You know, it's a safety issue. You can't climb around on the roof. No, no, it's safe. But I don't know how, like, I don't, I, don't, I don't really get it. Like, and the reason those areas are important, particularly inside the roof and the subfloor, is that's where, if you're going to have a structural issue, okay. that's where they're going to be, you know? Roof's not so much. You can tell from the roof. I mean, typically we'll always go in the roof and see if there's any issues with the structure. Yeah, you can see it. And so you can get up on the roof and have a look at if there's movements or there's waves. But typically structural issues, that's the two locations for them, you know. And so you just got to get in. And you can't stand there at a manhole and go, you know, look around the roof. I mean, there's just no chance. And the same with the subfloor, you know. Like, I mean, some, some of the subfloors are a little bit, prohibitive because they're too low they should have hatches there but that's where you're more than likely to find any structural issues and the other side of it when you think about structural issues is that they're not a problem you know that the only problem is that yeah buyers often freak out and they do you you would have seen that you know almost one in every three or four houses i've sold have had roofing 
challenge issues, you know, but they're not, they're quite inexpensive to fix. And really good example, like with roofing, but I'll, but when you look at, for example, you know, the structural issues, like, unless it's major, like, you know, serious foundational issues, wall rotation, then it's obvious, you know, and the house has probably been priced accordingly, right? You know, I bought a property. It was with my daughter, bought a property. You like taking on the headaches, don't you? I have these houses, you know. I'm the one that smiles, and you know, because I went out back in the house, and there I could put my hand through the wall with a crack. I'm like, well, this is fantastic, you know. And then uh, the agent's like, oh, Paul, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm going. Mm. And so, no one, and that's where an opportunity lies. It's really interesting, right? So, you know, we, we look at these houses, you know, I, I look at it, and I, you know, do a bit of an assessment and go, okay, let's have a look at it. Couldn't get offers on this house. Couldn't get offers. I mean, these are big cracks. Yeah, granted, you know, it's it's sort of the old style house with a laundry hanging off the back. It's brick, but you know, they're big cracks. You know, they've sprayed foam and they've tried to close the gaps up. You know, well, you'd be blown away how many buyers get upset by a little bit of cosmetic cracking on some corners. Is it? You know, like I'm getting, you know, I'm getting some people freaking out on that. So. <laughs> you can fit your hand in it. That's going to be a whole different uh, level. I just love it because I knew, you know, my daughter was young, so this was a cheaper property. I think we ended up buying the property for less than land value because, you know, the house was almost a freebie, really. And, you know, that's been, oh, you know, and they go, oh, you know, the, the, the thing to keep in mind, though, this is important, that when you buy a property that's got some obvious stuff like that going on, the banks get a bit twitchy in the sense that they want to see an inspection report, you know, and so that can be where. It, uh, fortunately, I knew a good inspector, you know, so <laughs> it wasn't too bad, bro. So anyway, we we did the inspection report. We identified it correctly, but it wasn't really an issue. And those sorts of things, then there's an opportunity because most people will, you know, young couple, parents in there, cracks and walls and this and that. Like it's been there. I think that's been two years, and we didn't do anything to it. Yeah, fill the cracks, and we do all, all. I all I suggest is you do a crack monitoring regime, which is really easy. It's like it's not that complicated. You go, there's a crack through here. You put a pencil mark on this one. You put a pencil mark over here, or pen mark, and you measure it. It's you know between the dots, you know. So you might say it's you know 25 mil now, and then you just come back every three months and measure it. You know, oh, it hasn't moved, and then you measure it and it hasn't moved. You know, so then you know actually it's not moving anymore. It's done. You don't have to take. Action straight away, you know, on that particular one. You don't have to spend $20,000 doing something with the foundations because it's done. You know, it's not moving anymore. So I think that that aspect of it, you know, where, where cracks are a, an obvious thing, but by the standard, it's actually really interesting when you identify, people would be pretty horrified to know that before a, a crack is identified as a serious structural crack, it's got to be almost 20 mil. 20 millimetres, you know, so, you know, airline cracks, nothing, you, you know, one, two millimetres, nothing, you know, so they're, they're not deemed, you know, structurally significant at all, but visually, you know, that's, that's obvious, isn't it, people see a crack, and there's a story, there's always a story behind a crack, you know, why is it here, and it's always good to, why, you know, trying to understand the what's caused that, but typically, you know, giving away the purchasing of a property over a structural issue like that, it's just sad because it's not necessary. And particularly if it's identified and the owners 
you know, I'm gonna, the, the seller's got to fix it anyway. So what do you care? You know, just take the cash off and deal with it yourself. You know, so. I guess it all comes down to context, doesn't it? And that's why you're, you know, being satisfied with the whole report is particularly important because if that's the only one thing and you've quantified it and you've understand it, okay, it's not that big a deal. But if I guess you've got many, many things all adding up that you didn't originally realize, all of a sudden you're at 40 grand, 30 grand, you got to decide what you can live with and what needs to be addressed and what's it, what's the actual uh, underlying change to the value that you might have paid for it. Yes. That's, and that's a good point. And I think as, as you made the point before, if, if it's an investment property, you know, you got to deal with these things, you know, like if you're moving it yourself, you go, oh, okay, you know, that's leaning a bit and I can live with that and those doors are a bit rattly and like, you can't really do that with tenants. You know, for us, tenants are clients, you know, they're clients, you know. So, so you, you tend to have to spend more money. I find that when I'm buying an investment property, you know, you need to get it right. I mean, you know, I might buy it for myself and go, you know, but, you know, it's always the adage, you know, when are you going to fix that on the back? I'm like, oh, okay. The classic, uh, a building inspector never might get around to doing his own place like the plumber doesn't fix his own toilets. Carriage get munched by termites, you know, people laugh, you know, it's like, did you get, oh, yeah, I, yeah, I didn't, I wasn't onto that, you know, it's like far out, you know, but it's, you know, and that's probably a good thing for people to take away is that, you know, we don't live in a country where, you know, our building standards are pretty high. And in, in essence, in fact, older properties, but not always, but typically older properties are just built better, you know. They're just built, you know, we can have times around the war when there was a shortage of materials and, you know, in the history of construction booms, you know, like we've had recently, there's always this lag effect of crappy well that's where a lot of these uh issues are coming up that you'd think oh you know yeah and so it's when we happen to have a lack of brickies or a lack of this or a lack of that getting your your dampness issues and your other things that just haven't clearly been done correctly yeah uh, that's right and so i uh, look they're all you can deal with that stuff and as we know the value property primarily just land you know then that's that's really you know the location and my yeah, buildings depreciate and land appreciates and yeah. Yeah, exactly so, right. You know. So so I guess in your space, is there any technology that you guys are using to help identify things or what's your kind of go-tos on that front? Is there anything exciting on the horizon? We're going to send robots into, you know, drones in your roof or something? Yeah, look, it, it, it's, I'm a bit of a tech head. I do like technology, but. You know, over the years, I kept looking at stuff and just go, it's just, it's just. Yeah, is it really going to, you know, produce a better result? And what it does is it makes people go, wow, and you can use it in marketing. So an example would be infrared cameras, these infrared cameras, right? You know, you know, you point them at the wall and, they, you know, all they do is determine. You take a cool photo of yourself in the mirror. Yeah, they do all sorts of fantastic. And so the guys go, oh, you know, this guy's offering like an infrared camera. I'm like, right, okay. So I look at that and go, is it a useful tool? Sure, you know. The only thing is you have to point it. You know, like it's not like if I don't point it at that wall, it's not of any use, you know. So I've either got to run around and point it and squirt it and, you know, take shots of every single wall, which is ridiculous. You know, if you've got, you know, if you see a bit of a leak, for example, Something leaking outside. I want to see if there's excess moisture. 
you can identify that. But, you know, a moisture meter does that. We use moisture meters to identify moisture, you know, in places. Infra- the, the, there are tools, but primarily, you know, and the guys talk about drones for the roof. I'm like, yeah, like there's no substitute for me walk on the roof, you know. I, like, unless you can't, if you can't get on the roof, then the boys will move the ladder around with binoculars and have a look. But, you know, oh, I've got a drone and I'll go, oh, the, the, like, yeah. But there's no substitute. Like, you can touch things, you can feel things, you can go, oh, hang on, there's a bit of a lip here. There's just actually no substitute for, you know, looking at it and getting on it. So we, you know, because I, I often got tempted, I just go to China and they'll have, you know, cameras that you can jam down drains and they got the things that call and, you know. But, you know, I, I, I really subscribe to that. Is it going to make it better for the client? Is it going to, is it going to, you know, identify something that we wouldn't have identified, you know? And, you know, over 80,000 inspections, we've pretty much worked out that we don't really miss much. You know, it's very rare that we miss anything, you know. And so I, I don't see there's a need there, you know. It's like, is there a need? I'm like, you know, and maybe some of the things that, you know, I talk a little bit about it in the book, which it's, it's gone off the boil a little bit, a bit, a bit about the, you know, how efficient, particularly with how efficient is the house. You know, you don't get a sticker on it, you know, with it, you know, which is a tragedy, you know. And you buy a fridge, you buy a washing machine, you buy everything, it's got a star rating, you buy a car, it tells you, you know, litres per 100Ks, you buy a house, you've got no clue. And so what, what is it going to be like for your tenants if you're renting it out? What's it going to be like for you, you know? And they're basic things. So we do identify those things like insulation, you know, being aware of that. Is there ceiling fans in there which can really help doing cooling? Can you get cross-flow through it? You know, these sorts of things that don't necessarily, you know, like the old storage hot water systems, they're just insane. I think they're pretty much banned now, but they still exist in the older homes. And they're like, people go, is that a bad thing? It's like, it's like an urn. It's like having a... 300 litre urn that is on all the time boiling water i mean it's just insane the power of those things and i did i used to do sustainability assessments and you go in and people go oh look at my power bill and you go you know you just point to that thing and the bottom line was if you have something that's now how do i know if it's uh, inefficient if you've got something that's generating heat and it's not a heater it's inefficient it's pretty simple you know so well, you remember those old halogen lights? You go, you can, you can scorch your arm on it. Yeah, it's see the steam off them. Yes. Yeah, you know, and so, you know, inefficient, these whole water systems emitting heat, you know, so, so there's a lot of, that's another thing to take into account is it's not necessarily. I think it's going to, it's definitely a consciousness around it now. And how do you find it? Do you find that, Jared? Do you find people a little bit more? The occasional, yeah. Think you can sort of fast forward 10, 20 years and it's going to be far more important as energy prices keep going up and people become more aware of these things. So, yeah. And, and you notice that if you travel around a bit, we've been traveling around Europe for like our homes. Oh, all right. Like, I'm in a home here and, you know, there's two sets of windows. This home's got to be, you know, 50 years old. There's two sets of windows. There's an outside window and inside window and there's shutters on the outside, you know. Because it's, you know, this place here gets down to, you know, negative, it can be get negative 20 during winter. So, you know, gas and the heating cost is huge. So there's more attention on that side of things, you know. And I think, you know, whilst we can just go, oh, I'll just click a button and, you know, turn the econ on, that's great. But sometimes 
there's little there's things to be aware of with a property that don't cost a lot of money but can make a bit of a difference in relation to the the running costs or you don't don't really have that i wish someone would come up with that you know like a this car, this house what's the running costs for a house you know if this house was used that'd be cool x dollars per annum for you know typical use yeah you know and you, you know you've got all sorts of things you can change easily you know convert you know water fittings you know showers and this and that to reduce your water flow and stuff you know hot water systems expensive you know can be an issue there's a big move towards solar now obviously a lot of homes a lot of homes have solar which is a good thing the downside is you know we don't get any money certainly in wa we don't get any money for putting money back in the in the grid it's 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 immaterial you know but it's just something else to be conscious of you know and uh, and just because they're solar panels, we've seen this so many times. They're not connected, or they've been just. I mean, like it's so funny, you know. Like we we go down to the thing and goes, there's no like, oh no no, it's got solar panels, and mm, no, something's died. You know, the inverter's crapped itself because it, they've been around for many years now. If you think about it, probably the first I remember putting solar panels on one of the houses probably about twenty years ago now, when they were just coming. It was eight grand for a one kilowatt system. Eight grand for a one kilowatt system, and the government was giving seven grand grants. Okay, well, yeah, the early adopters do get benefits of the grants, even though the cost is pretty high. They did, and we used to get, I think it was like 30, 25 or thirty cents feeding back out yeah, to. But these systems now have come, not come to the end of life, but they're not as efficient as they used to be. And sometimes the electrician's gone in and unplugged something. So there's a family going, oh, no, it's great, we got solar, Ooh, it's great, and. Not actually doing anything, you know. So they just can't make those assumptions. That's why don't inspect, inspect, you know. <laughs> oh, we'll put a link to your book in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. I know there's so much other content in there that we could cover off some other time. So we might look to have you back when you're Perth side, but stay in touch. And thank you so much for your time today, mate. No worries, Jared. Enjoy chatting. Always enjoy chatting about property. Just a reminder the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature. As we don't know your specific situation, you should always seek professional advice before taking any action. For free market reports on your suburb of interest and other helpful resources to grow your wealth, make sure you join my property investor update at investorshedge.com.au join. And finally, make sure you're a member of our Perth Property Investment Facebook group. To be part of the conversation with other like-minded investors, get help to your questions, and get a feel for what's going on out there in the market. I'll see you in the group.